98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Health officials search for more than two dozen foreign domestic workers after a virus infection at a boarding house. Donald Trump says the Hong Kong Stock Exchange won't be successful anymore now that he's ended the SAR special status. And the government rejects a UK report which says Hong Kong police used excessive force against medical workers at protests. Health officials are trying to locate 28 foreign domestic helpers after a woman they recently stayed with in a boarding house tested positive for coronavirus. The 28 who stayed in the dormitory in Lockhart Road in Wan Chai last month have since gone to live with their employers. Dr Chuang Shukwan from the Centre for Health Protection says they want to find the helpers to give them COVID tests. Although uh, two weeks has passed, but it is still possible that there may be um, other foreign domestic helpers affected. That's why we are tracing them to offer tests for them. We we will contact the the employers. So we we are a bit worried because uh, we have not found a source for this case yet. The infected woman, who's also a migrant worker, is one of 85 new coronavirus cases recorded in Hong Kong today. There are further infections linked to a marketing firm as well as an elderly care home in Sham Shui Po. Meanwhile, an 86-year-old patient died this afternoon, taking the death toll linked to coronavirus here to 43. US President Trump says stock exchanges in the United States are likely to pick up business now that he's ended Hong Kong's special economic status. In an interview with Fox News, Mr Trump says the SAR took a massive amount of business away from the US exchanges, but Hong Kong will not be a successful exchange any longer. The government has dismissed a UK report which found that Hong Kong police used excessive violence against medical workers during protests. The administration says the report by the all-party parliamentary group on Hong Kong is biased and is only based on information provided by anonymous people. The government says that people don't get in the way of first aiders but do need to stop what it described as rioters from posing as medical workers. It says there are strict guidelines for police on the use of force which are in line with international standards on human rights. The West Kowloon Magistracy says former leaders of the now disbanded Demosisto group, Joshua Wong and Ivan Lam, will go on trial in November over a protest outside police headquarters in June last year. The pair deny inciting others to take part in an unauthorised assembly. Mr Wong says the prosecution is politically motivated and it won't stop him from continuing his activism. It's not the time for us to surrender and it's no reason for us to live in fear. Even the government tried to prosecute us with the protest during last summer outside of the police headquarters. It's still not the time for us to give up and surrender and we just hope to encourage the global community to aware how Beijing hope to set up the voting station in the Greater Bay Area in mainland China and also how they continue crackdown on Hong Kong. We should not live in fear and we will not live in fear. The court also says it will sentence Agnes Chow following the trial of her two former Demosisto party mates. She's pleaded guilty to inciting others to join the police HQ protest and have taken part in it herself. Ms Chow urged people to remember the many other protesters who are facing charges. Please don't forget that not only um, we three, but there are a lot of Hong Kongers, there are a lot of young people in Hong Kong, they are facing even harsher situation than us. So we will not give up and continue to fight for freedom and democracy of Hong Kong. And under the strong sense of fear of the national security law, it is even more important for us Hong Kongers to not surrender 
and to continue to believe in the universal values of democracy and freedom. China and the United States will reportedly resume high-level trade talks this month. The Wall Street Journal says a video conference to be held on August the 15th is aimed at assessing Beijing's compliance with a bilateral trade deal signed earlier in the year. Under the Phase 1 agreement, China is committed to boosting American imports by 200 billion US dollars over two years. The report says Vice Premier Liu He and US Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer will take part in the talks. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Calls are growing for the government to verify the qualifications of mainland medical personnel before they're allowed to help Hong Kong ramp up its coronavirus testing. Timmy Song reports. Laboratory expert Li Chong is one of the latest to call for mainland experts to have their qualifications checked before they are allowed to work in Hong Kong. Speaking on the RTHK program, the chairman of the Association of Medical Laboratories questioned the benefit of widespread testing if safety and accuracy could not be ensured. He said no exceptions should be made even during a pandemic. The verification process normally takes up to six months, but Mr. Lee believed it could be shortened in this case to help save lives. Meanwhile, several pro-democracy district councillors have protested outside the hotel in Mongkok, where medical experts sent by Beijing are staying. The demonstrators criticised the SCR government for appointing two mainland labs to help with the testing without an open tender exercise. Roy Tan from the Neo-Democrats says Hong Kong doesn't need the mainland's help. Government should first seek the help from Hong Kong medical staff, either from public sector or private sector. There are still uh, some capacity that can cater more checking. Uh, at this moment, we still don't think that we should ask for help from China because if we ask for help from China, the confidence level of Hong Kong people towards the checking will be reduced. In Beijing, the National Health Commission says how long large-scale coronavirus testing in Hong Kong will take will depend on the government's ability to mobilize people and the degree of public cooperation. Mainland media have reported that the plan is to test every single person in Hong Kong for the virus, although this has not been confirmed by the SCR authorities. The government has condemned opposition district councillors and other people who have staged protests against medical experts sent to the SAR from the Visiting. In a statement, the government says the protesters are disregarding public health and safety and smearing Beijing's efforts to help Hong Kong. It says political reasons were not behind its decision to ask the central government for assistance with containing the virus. The government has been urged to set guidelines and boost inspections at nursing homes to ensure better hygiene practices as Hong Kong records more and more COVID deaths linked to elderly homes. Joanna Wong reports. 
Medical experts had long said they were worried about COVID-19 hitting nursing homes, as the elderly are a high-risk group prone to infections and likely to have a higher death rate. Although care homes were spared for a good while, there have been clusters of cases since last month, with dozens of residents and staff infected. Arisina Ma of the Public Doctors Association says one problem is the poor hygiene practices at some elderly homes. She spoke about her observations after conducting visits to two such facilities. One of the most important point of transmission is the healthcare workers. One care workers, they may change 20 or 10 diapers for 10 elderly, and they have no aprons, no PPE at what we wear in the hospital. They may wear gloves, they may not, or they may not even change their gloves. They are not wash their hands. Uh, washing basins are not readily seen. And same as the alcohol swab, in the hospital you will find alcohol swab is everywhere at the end of every bed, but you seldom see one in the elderly home. Dr. Ma says the Social Welfare Department is responsible for improving the situation by conducting more stringent inspections of elderly homes and it needs to act now. The license division. I would like to say that uh, actually they hold most of the control of the elderly home. They should conduct a large-scale inspection over all the elderly home, especially those inside the dangerous area. For example, as I say, the Samsheribo, Tumun area, the private-run elderly home, they need to go there to have a full-scale inspection, um, not the regular one. Really look into the environmental issue, make sure that they have made an improvement, make sure that they are very, the, uh, many workers have a more infection control uh, education, and look at their roster and make sure that they have already stopped sharing stuff among different elderly homes. She also called on the Social Welfare Department to review its welfare payments to the elderly, saying some private facilities are of low quality because they've been taking in residents who rely on government subsidies. Operators of music, tutoring and teaching centres are calling for urgent government subsidies to help them stay afloat during the pandemic. The Education Centres Union says some 2,000 such businesses have already closed down and 90% of the rest will unless they get help. The union spokesman, Trevor So, spoke to Joanna Wong. We would like to have some compensation from government about the rents. According to our statistic, the average range for a learning center in Hong Kong is around 50,000 Hong Kong dollars. So that's why for the culture, for the schools, the order from the EDB is totally around six months. So the total amount for the rent compensation is around 300,000. You're accusing the government of not listening to you at all, that there's been zero communication. Yes, yes. So if there is a meeting with the government, what will you tell the government? If we have a chance to meet them, we would like to say, shall we have a regular meeting? <laughs> Can you try to help us with a suitable way? Do you have a solution in mind? Like, what are you hoping to get out of a meeting with the government? Our proposal is very easy. Let's make the public know education center is a safe place for children. On the ratio between the teacher and the students can be small, like one to two, one to three. That's easy to know that is a safe place. This is our proposal to ask for government to let us reopen in a suitable and safe way. 
Police have arrested four people on suspicion of involvement in a loan sharking operation targeting foreign domestic workers. Officers say the gang lent $23 million in around a year, charging helpers interest rates of more than 100%. The force says the helpers may have fallen victim to the gang because they needed money to pay agent fees when they came to Hong Kong for work. A 24-year-old man has been jailed for two and a half years for blackmailing a lover he met online, threatening to upload photos of the man's private parts along with his personal information. Maggie Ho reports. The district court heard that the blackmail victim had already paid $3,000 to the defendant, Ma Chen Win. But in February 2018, Ma asked for another $1,500, which finally prompted the victim to call the police. Ma pleaded not guilty but was convicted after trial. In mitigation, Ma's lawyer said his client was confused about life in general as well as his sexual orientation, and he hadn't been thinking clearly when he developed an online relationship with his victim. But the judge said what Ma did was contemptible because he had breached his victim's trust and taken advantage of the victim's personality, which made him succumb easily under intimidation. Overseas now, the Lebanese Prime Minister Hassan Diab says a confiscated haul of tonnes of ammonium nitrate is to blame for a devastating explosion that ripped through Beirut. At least 100 people were killed in the port area of the capital and many more are missing, believed trapped. More than 4,000 people were injured in the blast, which caused extensive damage to a wide area of Beirut. Hadi Nasrallah lives in the port area and was in a taxi at the time. Suddenly I lost my hearing for a few seconds. I knew something was wrong. And then suddenly the, sh- the glass just shattered all over the car. The cars around us, the shops, the stores, the buildings, just glass going down from all over the buildings. I instantly thought it was an assassination attack. It was loud. It was very, very loud. Mohammed Najim was at home when the explosion happened. I just woke up from a nap, and I was walking in my place, and then suddenly the, my glass, I live on the 11th floor, and the glass flash. I heard, like, two big explosions. I felt the building is going down. I didn't know what happened. I was trying to hide. I am bleeding a little bit from my feet. I'm okay, though. Yeah, I mean, it's just like all the buildings around me are just, like, fully, all the glass has been destroyed. I mean, this took me back in the memory to 2006 when Israel was bombing Lebanon and I I had bombed an area near me and I thought I'm going to die. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. Health officials search for more for more than two hundred two dozen sorry two dozen foreign domestic workers after a virus infection at a boarding house. Donald Trump says the Hong Kong Stock Exchange won't be successful anymore now that he's ended the SAR special status. The government rejects a UK report saying Hong Kong police used excessive force against paramedics at protests. And China and the United States will reportedly resume high-level trade talks this month. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Health services sector lawmaker Joseph Lee says building a new hospital for coronavirus patients is a good long-term measure, especially during the winter flu surge. A team of experts is expected to arrive from Hubei province to help build makeshift hospitals in Hong Kong. Janice Wong asked Professor Lee if more testing is also needed, up to 200,000 tests a day, as suggested by another team from the mainland. It would 
be an arguable kind of situation because there is a saying that the universal testing or screening might work. But at the same time, if the government only implement this measure, might not really help the situation. There should be also tightening in social distancing measure and other measures as well, so as to really screen out and uh, not just screening, but also make sure that no more important cases and, and also those hidden patients might not be able to go in around in Hong Kong so to prevent the third wave going worse. But if more tests uh, will be carried out, who, who do you think should be tested first? Well, I think the uh, most vulnerable, uh, the government point out, uh, those elderly group and those uh, drivers for public services uh, will have priority to have this kind of screening. And, and that will also indicate that people who might like to have uh, test monitoring, especially those requested by their employer, might be a group of people uh, is indicated. And how overwhelmed are public hospitals right now? Is there an urgent need for, for the setting up of a uh, temporary hospital to, to help relieve the workload? I mean, more temporary hospitals? Well, currently, as you can see, the Asian World Expo Community Treatment Facility is in operation. There might ease some of the acute beds in the um, uh, public hospitals uh, so that the, some of the stable patients, even though they're confirmed, they uh, would not be wait at home and would be uh, quickly admitted into these treatment facilities. But in the long run, I think a kind of new hospital, some, somewhat like the um, community treatment facilities, might need to be built by the Hong Kong government as long-term measures. Now, as you can see, the community treatment facilities in Asian World Expo is not very comprehensive, like they don't have a negative pressure room, that kind of stuff. So with the building of another hospital, that might have a very long-term strategy in case a fourth wave outbreak or especially when the winter flu coming back with the COVID-19, that might make the situation much more easy in public hospitals if there's an increased number of beds. The head of the Medical Association's Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases, Leung Chi Chu, has reassured shoppers that there's little to worry about in a Hong Kong market that's at the centre of a cluster of more than 15 coronavirus cases. All those infected work in the market, including four fish vendors. Two people working at fish stalls in nearby Tokwa Wan market have also come down with the disease. Dr Leung told Timmy Sung that the virus probably spread through cross-infection among workers rather than environmental contamination. There's no need to be uh, too much worry uh, about all this seafood or cold meat and uh, by the supply chain because uh, even uh, the virus can survive uh, uh, in the cold chain uh, for quite some time. But the amount of contamination is unlikely to be very high and um, the risk is mainly, if any, is mainly among those uh, who regularly handle this in their occupation, such as uh, those uh, food handlers, workers uh, in uh, aperture, uh, workers in uh, fish stores, and those who are regularly handling all these uh, coal products. And the, ordinary consum- the risk to the ordinary consumer should be very low, as long as we take care of our hand hygiene and uh, cook the food uh, well before we consume it. So it's unlikely that uh, this, this spread of virus is due to uh, environment uh, contamination? I think for the COVID-19, the spread is mainly uh, human to human. Although it can spread through uh, either uh, airborne or droplet or contact. If there is contamination in, uh, for example, uh, on, on top of the ice, 
And then, uh, this is uh, dispersed by some other things uh, to other parts of the, the market. The dilution may be very substantial. Uh, so much so that the risk uh, of transmission under that sort of circumstance will be very low. And the number of persons infected up to this moment is not compatible with a major uh, airborne transmission event uh, in a uh, crowded uh, wet market. And so I, I do believe that it's still person-to-person uh, -person, uh, transmission at close range that is maintained uh, among the workers uh, in the wet market, and we need to uh, do more contact tracing. Mainland media have accused the United States of attempting to provoke an all-out confrontation with China over the issue of visas for Chinese journalists. Beijing has threatened to retaliate if Chinese journalists are forced to leave the US, and there are worries this could affect American reporters in Hong Kong. Anna-Marie Evans asked Keith Richberg, director of the Journalism and Media Studies Centre at the University of Hong Kong, how much he feels the SAR is a victim of souring Sino-US relations. I think Hong Kong, unfortunately, is totally a victim of U.S.-China relations. I mean, as always happens, I mean, you have superpowers fighting, and then Hong Kong gets caught in the crossfire with very little say in what's going on. I mean, you could arguably say the handover was the same way, where you had Britain on one side and China on the other, and Hong Kong was just kind of this political pawn <laughs> getting kicked around. Now you have this kind of U.S.-China new Cold War going on, and I'm afraid you know Hong Kong and the journalists based in Hong Kong could just become accidental collateral damage in that new Cold War. Now, what do you think about the, the prospects for American journalists in Hong Kong? And that might include yourself. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not a teacher. <laughs> I'm not a working journalist here, so I'm, I'm keeping my head low. It's like, <laughs> I'm hoping that it doesn't go down that road. I'm hoping that, that both sides decide to kind of, you know, withdraw their ammunition and realize that, you know, nobody can win in this kind of a, you know, in a mutual assured information destruction war that seems to be going on here, um, particularly Hong Kong. I mean, look, the thing that makes Hong Kong great and the thing that makes Hong Kong thrive as an international global business and financial center is the free flow of information. I mean, the reason that banks and, and hedge fund managers and everybody else wants to live here and do business here and work here is because they have access right away to the information they need to make split-second decisions. And that information is being fueled in huge numbers by journalists who are based here. Um, you know, and not just, you know, the journalists working for the publications we've heard of, but the ones we haven't heard of, you know, the ones uh, doing financial market data, the ones doing, you know, you know, in-depth deep dives on companies, you know, the, you know, providing information that people need to make trades and to do business and to do deals. And if journalists suddenly become collateral damage in this new U.S.-China trade war, then it's going to become a less attractive place uh, because there's going to be less information available for people to make uh, make business decisions. So I really do I really do hope that doesn't happen. I really do hope that uh, you know that both sides can keep their powder dry. I, you know, it's uh, you know, I think the Chinese side will say this that the U.S. started it with this uh, visa issue. The U.S. side would say the Chinese really started it because for a long time they've been denying uh, visas to American journalists. They've been restricting American journalists. It's gotten a lot tighter lately. Uh, a lot of journalists when, you know, who need a year-long visa for any kind of stability um, have been getting sort of very short visas, sometimes as late, you know, three months, and you have to go in each three months to get it renewed, which is disruptive, you know, and it also creates kind of a, uh, it's it kind of a chill over journalists knowing they're going to be kind of evaluated and monitored every three months to see if they can stay, particularly those who, you know, put down roots in China and have friends and family. It's very, very disruptive. 
now in the wake of the national security law, I think four uh, media organisations here were asked by the Chinese side for staff list plus finances. So, you know, that and that was the, like the day after. Does it make it too hard for American journalists to do their jobs properly in Hong Kong? Well, I don't think it's happened yet that it's too hard for journalists to do their jobs here. I mean, as far as, far as I can tell so far, American journalists are still operating the way they always have, which is terrific. I don't know if that's going to change. I mean, it obviously will change if you got, if you reduce the number of American journalists here or if American journalists start getting put on shorter and shorter uh, visas. Or I, I'm hearing stories, and again, I'm just hearing it anecdotally, that a lot of visas, and not just for Americans, but for other nationalities as well, a lot of visas are being delayed. I've not heard of anyone actually being rejected, but I'm just hearing that now immigration is sending back a sort of huge long list of questions for people to answer about the, you know it used to be pretty pro forma now i think they're sending back questions asking all kinds of you know picayune questions and wanting to see your you know wanting to see the hard copy of your college degree from 30 years ago and you know, you know wanting to know if the company looked for any local person to hire for the job i mean and all kinds of very very picayune questions that really have absolutely nothing to do it's just a way of dragging the process out i believe the BBC has been given what's thought to be extremely rare footage from inside the secretive system of mass internment camps in far western Xinjiang. In a self-shot video, 31-year-old Murdan Gapa, a Uyghur, can be seen in a bear cell handcuffed to a bed. Relatives of the former fashion model say he was taken away for re-education earlier this year. But apart from the few extraordinary messages sent from a mobile phone, nothing has been heard from him since. The BBC's John Sudworth reports. A few years ago, Murdan Gapper was making good money a long way from his home in Xinjiang. Working as a fashion model in the southern Chinese city of Foshan and appearing in slick promotional videos for clothing brands. But in February, he appeared in a very different kind of video, one he shot himself. Instead of a glitzy studio, he sits in a grimy cell, his phone camera revealing his filthy clothes and his left arm handcuffed to the bed. He is clearly back in Xinjiang. Beyond the steel mesh on the window, a propaganda announcement drones away in the Uyghur language. Despite the risks that it may bring him further punishment, relatives, including his uncle who lives in Amsterdam, say they've no choice but to release the video he sent them. Staying silent won't help him either. The only thing I can do is to raise public awareness. It's our only chance to rescue him. Even if China would not release him, I wish they would at least tell us he's alive. The young model had already served 16 months in jail, having been convicted of a drugs offence in 2018, although his family say he was innocent. Upon completing his sentence, whatever relief he may have felt was short-lived. Soon afterwards, the police picked him up again and took him back to Xinjiang for, they said, a few days' education. We've asked Chinese government officials here whether he was suspected of any further offence and even if he was, why he was handcuffed to a bed. We've received no response. Over the past few years, China has built a vast network of detention camps across Xinjiang. It has insisted that they are vocational schools that help people turn away from extremism. 
but last year, following intense international criticism, it said the camps were being closed. In the police station, 50 to 60 people were locked in a small room. I was shocked. They all had sacks on their heads, handcuffs, shackles, and a... But the text messages Murdan Gappa sent, along with his video, clearly suggest that a highly orchestrated system of detaining and processing large numbers of people is still in operation in Xinjiang. After I'd been there for a while, I could often hear other interrogation rooms. The sounds of horrible screams came through from men and women. It was awful, whatever it was, just terrifying. One time I heard a man screaming from morning until evening. I was afraid. Would the next one be me? James Millwood is a professor of history at Georgetown University and an expert on China's policies in Xinjiang. His first-hand description of the police holding cell uh, is very, very vivid. He writes in very, very good Chinese, and uh, it gives us a lot of detail um, and, frankly, a lot of horrific detail about the way in which these people are treated. So it is quite a rare, a rare source. In the end, it was the virus that allowed Murdan Gappa to get word out from the usually highly secretive system. Registering a slightly high temperature, he was moved to an isolation cell as a precaution and given access to personal belongings, which, unknown to his guards, contained his phone. And it's this cell that we see on the video. But five months ago, as suddenly as they began, the messages stopped. Murdan Gappa has not been heard from since. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Have you registered for the $10,000 cash payout scheme? If you're a Hong Kong permanent resident aged 18 or above and have not yet registered, you may register electronically through a bank for direct payment into your sole named account. It's quick and easy. You may also register using a paper form or register through Hong Kong Post to collect a check. Registration is open until the end of 2021. Visit cashpayout.gov.hk for details. Radio 3 Weather. The weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly cloudy with showers, though showers will be heavy at first with a few squally thunderstorms. Minimum temperature of around 25 degrees. There'll be showers that will be easing off gradually during the day. It'll become hot with sunny intervals and a maximum temperature of around 32 degrees. Winds will be moderate east to southeasterly and fresh offshore at first. The outlook, hot with sunny periods in the following couple of days, a few showers early next week. Currently at the observatory, air temperature is 25 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 96% and the amber rainstorm and thunderstorm warnings remain in effect. Radio 3, live on the web, rthk.org.hk. Back to the music now. Simon Wilson sitting in for the world's most durable DJ. Assorted ballads and easy listening through till one. I'm coming home, I've done my time Now I've got to know what is and isn't mine If you receive my letter telling you I'd soon be free Then you'll know just what to do If you still want me in 
Featuring Tony Orlando, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. Playing assorted ballads and easy listening through till one. If there's something you'd like to hear, two double three double eight two six six is the number. Already on the list, we got some Whitney Houston, Sting, Bobby Goldsborough. But right now, it's time for the band. <laughs> 